Oh, would you just look at your neighbor, whichever one you like the best, and uh, just high-five him real quick and say, it's on tonight, it's on. It's on tonight. You can be seated. You can be seated. Happy birthday, City Light Church. Oh, we're going to turn up tonight. We're going to turn up tonight. It is, it is certainly an honor, to say the least. Uh, anytime, anytime my face is in the place, but especially on this a really momentous occasion and this awesome day. It's, it's always great to pause and thank God for all that he's done in the journey. Sometimes you're, sometimes you're so busy in the story of God that you don't just stop and thank him for the chapter. And uh, we just want to thank him for this chapter and to him be the glory for all that he's done. But the reality is none of us would be here tonight uh, if two people didn't say yes to the call. And, and that is uh, Jabin and Shannon. And I just want us just for a moment to thank God for Pastor Jabin and Pastor Shannon, the real senior pastor. Come on, can you let them know how much you love them? Come on, honor, elevate your life. And uh, it's pretty amazing. It's pretty amazing. Um, they're, they're friends of ours and we... Uh, absolutely positively love you. I, I pray that all of you get friends like Pastor Jabin and Shanna and uh, that God allows you to see uh, something that was in their heart manifest in their hands and we're just, we're just glad to be here. I want to preach tonight if that's cool. I, uh, I'm, I have a word from heaven and I, I want to jump straight into it. I preach better when my wife is with me and she's here and I thank God for her. But uh, yeah, I, I flew in straight uh, from the great country of Texas and, uh, <laughs> and landed here and came straight here from the airport. So uh, I came to do some damage to the kingdom of darkness tonight. I hope you feel like getting a word from God. But uh, go with me to Mark chapter 5 tonight. Mark chapter 5. And I want to look at verses 21 through 43. Mark chapter 5. Start at verse 21. We'll land at verse 43. Why are you looking for it? How many of you have never heard me preach before? Can I see a hand if you've never heard me preach before? man? Quite a bit of you. Uh, quick disclaimer, I'm a hollerback preacher. <laughs> I don't have to say that at City Light, but if anything I say resonates with you over the next six and a half hours uh, <laughs> that we have together, you can say amen, you can say preach that, even if you're calm, quiet, and reserved. Just come on, it's your birthday. You can just let loose today, you know? Throw a hanky, do a Jericho march, do something. <laughs> Mark chapter 5, <laughs> start at verse 21, we'll land at verse 43. Quite a bit of scripture, but I need all of it for you to really get the context of where we're going. When you're ready to read it, say, yeah. yeah. Need some time to find it, say, hold up. All right, everybody got it, come on. It says, when Jesus had again crossed over by boat to the other side of the lake, a large crowd gathered around him while he was by the lake. And one of the synagogue leaders named Jairus came and when he saw Jesus, he fell at his feet. He pleaded earnestly with him. My little daughter is dying. Please come and put your hands on her so that she will be healed and live. So Jesus went with him. A large crowd followed and pressed around him and a woman was there who had been subject to bleeding for 12 years. She had suffered a great deal under the care of many doctors and had spent all she had Yet instead of getting better, she grew worse. When she heard about Jesus, she came up behind him in the crowd and touched his cloak because she thought 
If I just touch his clothes, I will be healed. Immediately her bleeding stopped and she felt in her body that she was free from her suffering. At once, Jesus realized that power had gone out from him. So he turned around in the crowd and asked, who touched my clothes? You see the people crowding against you, his disciples answered. And yeah, you're going to sit up here and ask who touched me. Jesus kept looking around to see who had done it. Then the woman, knowing what had happened to her, came and fell at his feet and trembling with fear, told him the whole truth. And he said to her, daughter, your faith has healed you. Go in peace and be freed from your suffering. While Jesus was still speaking, some people came from the house of Jairus, the synagogue leader. Your daughter is dead, they said. Why bother the teacher anymore? Overhearing what they said, one version says, ignoring what they said, Jesus told him, don't be afraid, just believe. He did not let anyone follow him except Peter, James, and John, the brother of James. And when they came to the home of the synagogue leader, Jesus saw a commotion with people crying and wailing loudly. He went in and said to them, why all the commotion and wailing? Child is not dead, but asleep. But they laughed at him. After he put them all out, he took the child's father, 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 mother, you know what I mean, hello, (laughs) took the child's father and mother and the disciples who were with them and went in where the child was. He took her by the hand and said to her, Talitha kum, which means little girl, I say to you, get up. Immediately the girl stood up and began to walk around. She was 12 years old. At this they were completely astonished. He gave strict orders not to let anyone know about this and then told them, don't just stand there and look at the girl. Go to Chick-fil-A and get her something to eat. Come on somebody, that is good stuff all by itself. All by itself. Now, in full sermon prep disclosure, I have to tell you that I almost titled this message tonight. I almost titled this message, Get Up. Get Up. Because come on, it's your anniversary. That's a good sermon title, Get Up. Upon further reflection, I realized that was a premature title. Premature title simply because of verses 40 and 41. And I want us to hone in on verses 40 and 41, because remember, Jesus walks in and says, this girl is not dead. She's just asleep. But in verses 40 and 41 of Mark chapter (laughs) 5, after he said that, it says, but they laughed at him. They laughed. Who is the they? The negative, hating, doubting, unbelieving, faithless, SAT word, cantankerous people that were in the room. That You know those people, you know those people that light up a room when they walk out? <laughs> Don't point at nobody. Those people that like for every solution, they're going to find a problem. That's the day. That's the day. It says they laughed at him. And then it says after he, that's Jesus, put them all out. Jesus put them out. In fact, the Greek suggests that he physically put them out. See, I don't want to mess up your theology or your Christology tonight because you think, you think that Jesus is just kind and sweet and loving and caring and he's a good, good father. And he is, but this text lets me know, don't get it twisted, he is so, so gangster because all of those negative, doubting, unbelieving, faithless people, he said, all y'all got to get, Woo! you ain't got to go home, but you got to get out of here. 
And once they got out, then he went to the little girl and said, get up. City Light Church, what if the power of a miracle is not just in the miracle itself, but rather in the atmosphere and the environment that surrounds your miracle? Could it be possible that you've been looking at things in your life telling them to get up, but this is your year and your season to start checking your environment and telling some things to get Oh, I came to preach on this anniversary. Come on, would you high-five your neighbor and just tell him my title? Say, get out. Oh, come on, look at another neighbor like you got an attitude with him. Say, get out. Woo. Come on, let's pray before we go into this. See, y'all got me all started. Uh, would you bow your heads? Long prayer. God, you're awesome. Speak tonight. Amen. Get City Light Church. The divine intersection and collision of characters in this text today immediately gave me a nostalgic, parental, fatherhood flashback to November 2014. I remember quite vividly because I was getting ready to leave our home in Dallas, Texas to go preach at a conference, which isn't anything unusual. I often leave to go preach at a conference, except this time, Everything was different. Everything was different. Because I was not just leaving the house as a husband, now I was leaving the house as a father. Uh, my firstborn daughter, Everly, I call her Evie, she had just entered the world, and I was in that emotional, precarious predicament of leaving my firstborn daughter for the very first time. And come on, every parent in here will attest to the fact that things are different with your first child. Oh, come on, somebody. <laughs> There are things that happen with your first child that none of your other children will experience, okay? <laughs> like now, now, my wife and I was here, we have three kids plus a demonic dog. So <laughs> when I leave the house now, I leave like I got warrants for my arrest, <laughs> and I take the long scenic route home, okay? <laughs> in fact, often, often my wife Taylor will call me with chaos in the background, and she'll be like, babe, where are you? I'm like, I'm in traffic. She's like, no, you in the driveway. I see you. Come in the house and help me <laughs> with these kids. Ooh, but when it's your first, when it's your first, it's different. So I was emotional to say the least. Tears are going this way. Snot's going the other way. I'm holding my baby girl. I'm like, I love you so much. I care about you. I was going to preach one night in Florida. You would have thought I was going to fight in Iraq for like 15 years. I was like, I care about you. Uh, you is kind. You is smart. You is I mean, I was a mess. I was a mess. I get to the conference that night. I get to the conference. I walk in. I'm still emotional. And a guy by the name of Eddie James is leading worship. And uh, of, of all songs, of all songs, he's actually singing, you're a good, good father. Like, no, I'm not, Eddie. No, I'm not. Just a mess. And I don't think I preached. I just put up a picture of my daughter and said point one, two, and three. And uh, finished preaching that night and got in the green room afterwards. I was talking to Eddie James, the worship leader. And he came up to me and he said, Robert, congrats on your daughter. She's beautiful. I said, thank you. I made her. <laughs> and then said, hey, Eddie, you know, my daughter Evie might not have ever been born if it wasn't for you. Eddie looked at me like I had lost my mind. I said, Eddie, you probably don't remember this, but in December 2006, 
You were scheduled to lead worship and preach at Christ for the Nations Institute in Dallas, Texas. But en route to Dallas, your van broke down on the side of the road. Eddie goes, I remember that night. I said, Eddie, you picked up your phone and you called a man by the name of Adam McCain. And you let him know that by the time your van would be fixed, there was no way you would make the service. So regrettably, you had to cancel. Adam McCain got off the phone with you and looked at a room full of people and said, Eddie James just canceled for our Tuesday night student chapel. Who in the world are we going to get last minute to fill his spot? In that room was a man by the name of Brian Ming. He lifts up his hand and says, hey, I just heard this young guy named Robert Madu preach. He's local here in Dallas. Maybe he can do it. All of a sudden, my phone rings and the voice on the other line says, is this Pastor Robert Madu? I dropped my voice real low and said, well, yes, it is. He said, man, I know this is crazy and this is last minute, but we just had a cancellation for our Tuesday night student chapel. Is there any way you would be available to come and preach to our Bible college students? Now, keep in mind, during this time in my life, I myself am a Bible college student at Southwestern Assemblies of God University. So I said to Adam McCain, you know what? It seems like yesterday I was a Bible college student myself. <laughs> what an honor it would be to come in part to your young people drove for Southwestern to Christ for the Nations. I'm about to get up and preach, but before I get up, they say, it's Tuesday night, so it's time for our Tuesday night testimony video. We're gonna show a testimony of a student here in our body whose life has been transformed by the power of Jesus Christ. And all of a sudden on the screen, I see the finest girl with the strongest Southern accent I have ever heard in my life. And she starts telling her story of Jesus changing her life. I don't meet the girl I preached that night. I'm at my school the next day, walking down the hall. A girl taps me on my shoulder and goes, hey, Robert. I said, it's Pastor Robert Madu now. She goes, was that you that I saw last night getting ready to preach at Christ for the Nations Institute? I said, yeah, they called me last minute. They had a cancellation. She goes, oh, my goodness. Oh, my goodness. Did you see the girl on the screen telling her testimony before you preached? I said, yes, I did. She said, I've known that girl for years. I've known you for years. And I always thought that you two would be perfect for each other. But I never said anything. But the fact that you were there preaching and they showed her video, you two have got to me. The next week, that girl and I went on our very first date at the illustrious International House of Pancakes. <laughs> I said, Eddie, to make a long story short, that girl's name was Taylor Mitchell. It's now Taylor Madu. We did what married people do. Evie is the evidence of that. Eddie, I am so glad your van broke down on the side of the road that day. <laughs> And I share that story tonight, first of all, to give some hope to the single people. Hello, this your year. <laughs> but also to say, also to say, who in the world, who in the world would have ever thought that Eddie and my Evie were connected? Because their connection is not one that is easily seen on the surface. But once you begin to peel back the layers and dig down deep into the archaeological value of a person's life, it becomes so clear that none of us get to live our lives in autonomy with just me, myself, and I. But how many of you know all of us are connected? Oh, we are deeply connected. Come on, miracles merge with miracles. Testimonies touch each other. Our lives have a way of intersecting 
things. Oh, yes, our lives are not straight lines. Our lives are actually links because all of us are connected. Who doesn't it frustrate you when people you love don't understand this premise and they got the nerve to tell you, don't worry about me. Don't worry about me. You do you, I'm going to do me. You do you and I'm going to do me. And you want to look at that person and go, well, you doing you is actually affecting me because all of us are deeply and intrinsically and inextricably connected. Connected. So I, I don't find it strange in Mark chapter 5. Mark begins by talking about this synagogue leader by the name of Jairus. But in the middle of Jairus' story, we're abruptly interrupted with the story of a woman with an issue of blood. And the reason that Mark has sandwiched these two stories together is because the two of them are connected, deeply connected. In fact, to talk about Jairus, the synagogue leader, but to never discuss the woman with an issue of blood is really to do an injustice to the integrity of this text because the two of them are connected, deeply connected. Now, not on the surface now, not on the surface. If you just look at the surface of their lives, they could not be more opposite. Come on, if you just look at the surface, one of these things is not like the other. Come on, come on let's just start with biology one-on-one. Jairus is a man. She is a woman. Hello. Jairus is named in the text. The Bible doesn't even give us this woman's name. Jairus is honored and respected, but this woman has been shamed and rejected. Jairus is a ruler in the Jewish synagogue. This woman can't even come near the synagogue because her sickness has made her ceremonially unclean. Jairus has a family. This woman sits alone. Jairus is affluent. The culture would suggest he's got some money in the bank. This woman is broke, busted, and disgusted and has spent all she had on worthless positions who have made her worse instead of better. Let me bring the text to the 21st century. Jairus is driving a Benz. This woman is riding the bus. They have nothing in common on the peripheral and yet life has put them in the exact same place, posture, and position because they both have been hit with something that they cannot handle. You know life will do that. Life has a way of evening the playing field. Life is an equal opportunity employer. Life does not discriminate. It does not play a hate. Life will hit you upside the head with some stuff that your money can't fix, your friends can't fix, your Instagram followers can't fix. Life has a way of taking your breath away. And might I suggest tonight that if life has hit you with something that you know you cannot handle, how many of you know that thing is a job for Jesus? That's time for you to just throw up your hands and say, God, I don't know what to do about this, but surely you know what to do. Oh, look at Jairus and this woman. Nothing in common on the peripheral. Both ended up in the same position, having to push people out the way to get an appointment with Jesus. I love it. I love that not one of them had a pretty pathway with rose petals to Jesus, but they both had to get physical and push, push people out the way to get what they needed from God. Ooh, I didn't expect to get a lot of amens on that. I didn't expect to get a lot of amens on that because you don't like that. You want everything with God to come easy. You want God to show up on your time schedule. You want God to show up like Amazon Prime in 24 hours or less. But can I tell you, every once in a while, you're going to have to push some things. You're going to have to push some people. You're going to have to push some mindsets out of the way. You're going to have to do something you've never done before in order to get something you've never received and push. Would you wake up your neighbor on this anniversary? Just push. 
push them just a little. Pushing. Woo, pushing. They both had to push. I'll tell you why they're pushing. They're pushing because desperate people do desperate things. Oh, come on. How many you know when you are really desperate for God to do something in your life, you approach God differently? When you are really desperate for God to do something in your life, you come to church differently. Oh, when you are desperate for God to show up, you'll be here in all the services. You'll come to the 5 and the 7 o'clock. You will stand in line. You will fight traffic. When you are desperate for God, oh, you will sing the songs loud. You don't care whose nerves you're getting on. You'll mess up all that Mary Kay and Mac makeup because there's something you need God to do in your life. Oh, it's something about desperation. I found in my own life that God will often use desperation to push you in your purpose. God will use desperation to drive you into your destiny. In fact, hear me, desperation is the door that breakthrough walks through. Ooh, that'll tweet. I'm going to say that again. I said desperation is the door that breakthrough walks through. Some people wonder, how come I haven't got my breakthrough yet? Sometimes it's because you haven't got downright desperate enough for God to do it in your life. And there's something about desperation. It was the rolling tides of desperation that brought Jairus and this woman both at the feet of Jesus. Ooh, I love that. Nothing in common on the surface. Both ended up at the same spot, at the feet of Jesus, desperate for him to do something in their lives. That is a picture of this church. That is a picture of the gospel that we can come in here today with all of our differences on the surface, but yet we all end up at the same place at the feet of Jesus, desperate for him to do something in our lives. Are you bored yet? Because I would love to, I would love to delve into the details of their desperation. Jairus, he gets to Jesus first and boy, is he desperate. He's desperate because his baby girl, his little girl, she is dying. Hear that? She is dying. So when he approaches Jesus, he approaches Jesus with the vocal intonation of a 911 caller. He's not saying, Jesus, can you come to the house when you have a chance? He's saying, Jesus, hurry up and come to my house. This woman is just as desperate, but her situation is chronic. It's been going on for a while now, this hemorrhaging, this bleeding that is occurring in her body. And watch how much Mark, the gospel writer, wants us to know that the two of them are connected. Because it just so happens that Jairus' little girl who is dying is 12 years old. And this woman with an issue of blood has been dealing with it now for 12 years. They're connected. So you got a 12-year-old dying daughter and a 12-year-old disease. So church, that just means, chronologically speaking, the same year that this little girl was born was the exact same year that this woman was diagnosed with her disease. That means, cinematically speaking, if Mark chapter five was a movie and the producers of This Is Us were making the movie, <laughs> this would be the scene in the movie where it would flash from the feet of Jesus and go 12 years earlier. And it would go to a hospital and walking out of that hospital would be Jairus, his wife, and them holding a brand new baby girl, smiling ear to ear with the full joy of parenthood. And then perhaps walking out of that same hospital is a woman, tears coming down her face because she's just been diagnosed with a disease and the doctors don't know what to do about it. And just maybe they were in the same hospital that day, but didn't even see each other. Come on, y'all, isn't that just like life? See, sometimes in life, you can be so preoccupied with your promise 
are so preoccupied with your personal pain that you don't even see other people that are around you. Sometimes in life, and especially in the church, you can be so busy shouting over what God has done or so busy weeping over what hasn't come to pass yet that you're oblivious to other people around you, other people that God has put them in your life for you to be a blessing to. Oh, and can I suggest in this narcissistic, individualistic, selfie-saturated society in which we live, we've forgotten Romans chapter 12 that says you got to rejoice with those that rejoice, but also so weep with those that weep. Come on, somebody. Don't be so concerned about you that you miss other people around you. Thank God for Jesus. Because the two people that didn't see each other at the hospital are now forced to see each other at the hem of his garment. And now the two twelves are touching. Ooh, I feel like preaching. Somebody say 12. twelve. Oh, come on. Say it like it's your birthday. Say 12. twelve. Come on. Say it like you had some Red Bull. Say 12. twelve. Ooh, how many of you know? You don't need a Bible college degree. Uh, you don't need to be a student in biblical numerology to know that there are some numbers in the Bible that God has given you biblical blues clues that these numbers are a big deal, okay? <laughs> 12 is one of those numbers. 12 is a big number to God. You remember when God began his covenant with his people, a covenant that commenced with the call of Father Abraham, continued in Isaac, but culminated in Jacob. Jacob had not five, not 10, 12 sons. Those 12 sons represented the power and the authority of God's covenant with his people. Those 12 sons became the 12 tribes of Israel, representing the power and the strength and the authority of that nation. You remember in the Old Testament, Whenever the high priest would go into the Holy of Holies, the presence of God, he would stand there on behalf of the people of God, but he didn't have on skinny jeans. He had a breastplate that had 12 precious stones representing those 12 tribes of Israel. That's too much Old Testament. You bored. Fast forward to the New Testament. You know our New Testament high priest who is Jesus. The first time we see Jesus teaching in the temple is at the tender age of 12. And they marveled at the wisdom and the power that came out of a 12 year old. You remember when that 12 year old turned 30 and he got ready to pick his crew, his disciples, his roll dogs. If it was me, I would have stopped at 11. But not Jesus. He said, I need a hater too. Come on, Judas. And he picked 12 dudes to roam the earth and gave all 12 of them power to heal the sick and to raise the dead. What is 12? 12 is the number of God's power. It is the number of God's authority. Oh, city light. Do you know what Jesus is trying to teach us with the 12s? He's trying to teach us what he's been trying to say since the moment he landed on planet Earth. God says, I don't care if it's a blind eye, a deaf ear, a withered hand, an issue of blood, sickness, disease, demonic oppression, or even death itself. There is absolutely nothing that you are facing that is not under the jurisdiction of my power and my authority. I got the power and the authority to handle whatever the enemy is throwing against you. Oh, if you got that, you'd be giving God some praise in this place right now. Somebody thank him if you know who's got the power and the authority. Oh, I feel like preaching. 12 is the number of God's power. It is the number of God's authority. Somebody say authority. Authority. Why is that so important? It's so important because, hear me, it is your awareness of God's authority that will determine how much you receive from him. Big statement, I'm going to say it again. 
It is your awareness of God's authority that will determine how much you receive from him. See, often we look at a passage like this and we reduce it to faith because Jesus said, daughter, your faith has healed you. And don't get me wrong, faith is important. How many know you need some faith? (laughs) Come on, faith is the substance of things hoped for. It is the evidence of things not seen. You need faith. Without faith, it is impossible, impossible to please God. Faith is our anchor. But nobody takes an anchor, watch this, and just throws the anchor in the water. You're going to lose that anchor. You better connect and tie that anchor to something. And watch this. My faith is connected to his authority, the authority of his word, the authority of his power. That's what my faith has got to be connected to. If you don't believe that God is the ultimate authority, how many of you know your faith is going to struggle? Because your faith and his authority are they're connected. Some of you think you got a faith problem. You're like, oh, I just need more faith. I got to get more faith. I ain't got my breakthrough. I need more faith. Your faith is good. You know, you just need mustard seed faith. Here's what you need this year. You need an awareness of God's authority to know that he has the final say, to know that when God says it, it has to come to pass. Oh, you ain't got a faith problem. You got an awareness of his authority problem because your faith and his authority are Anytime you got somebody that doesn't believe he's the ultimate authority, then that person's faith is going to struggle. Give us some scripture for that, Robert. I'll give you some scripture. You remember the disciples? Remember the disciples? Remember when they're on the boat and it's a hurricane and the winds and the waves are going crazy and Jesus is chillaxing in the bottom of the boat and the hurricane just... Just sound asleep. Mark says on a pillow, just sleeping. And the disciples are having a panic attack. Talking about Jesus, don't you care? We're about to die. And Jesus gets up. Jesus gets up in a hurricane. In a hurricane, cool, calm, and collected, because he's got sovereign swag. Just gets up in a hurricane and goes to the edge of the boat in a hurricane and just goes, peace. (laughs) Be still. And the winds and the waves are calm in a moment. And all the disciples' jaws were on the floor. And they immediately go, who is this dude? No, for real. Who is this man that even the winds and the waves obey him? They marveled at his authority. And what did Jesus say back to them? Oh, you of little Your faith is little because you didn't have an awareness of my authority. Because your faith and his authority are connected. They're connected. Ooh, you don't got a faith problem. You got an awareness of his authority problem. See, you think, you think the doctor is the final authority. You think your friends are the final authority. You think your cousin and them are the final authority. You Instagram trolls are the final authority, but when you know God is the ultimate authority, oh, you can chill because you know who has the final say. Are you bored yet? Watch this. Jairus got a house call because that was his awareness of his authority. Remember, he, he approaches, he's a pastor, so he approaches Jesus just like a pastor. He says, Jesus, please, my baby girl is dying. Would you please come to the house and heal her? Jesus like, okay, I'll go. 
You want me to come to the house? I'll go. He said, please, Jesus. You just come to her. Lay your hands on her. Oh, we got a big bottle of Crisco oil there. Uh, he's Pentecostal too. Lay your hands on her. He said, I'll go. That was his awareness of his authority. This woman had a whole nother awareness of his authority. She said, Jesus, you ain't got to come to my house. Mm, I ain't got time for that. All I got to do is just touch the hem of your garment. And if I touch the hem of your garment, I know I'm going to be made whole. And that's what she got because that was her awareness of his authority. You don't got a faith problem. You got an awareness of his authority problem. And hear me, this might be the most important message you hear this year. Because hear me, if you can know that he is the ultimate authority, then your faith can go to a whole nother level because you know who has the final say. And this is so important because if you don't believe somebody is the ultimate authority, how many know you're going to doubt the validity of their words? If I don't believe you're the ultimate authority, I'm going to doubt the validity of your words. Come on, just think practically. You ever been on the phone with a company or at a restaurant or at a place of business and uh, you were talking to somebody that you knew wasn't the real authority? You know, they were just, just, just an employee. They weren't the boss. And they were telling you something that was contradictory to good customer service. And after a while, you just get so annoyed and so frustrated. You're like, can I please speak to your manager? Can I please speak to your supervisor? Oh, y'all don't do that in Vegas. Y'all super saved. Okay, I do that. I do that. I speak to managers. I speak to supervisors. I want to speak to the person that can change my situation. Oh, no, this happened to me not too long ago. I had a reservation at a hotel, been booked for several months, several months. And the girl behind the desk, bless her heart, she's like, oh, I'm sorry, Mr. Madhu, I don't see your reservation. And I mean, we're fully committed. There's no more rooms. I don't see it. And I tried to stay saved. I said, this has been booked for several months. She's like, I'm sorry, I don't see it. And we're fully committed. No more rooms. So I wasn't rude about it. I said, can I please speak to your manager? Can I please speak to your supervisor? The manager comes behind the desk and goes, oh, hello. Mr. Madhu, good to see you again. Girl, move. I'm so sorry. She's new. Um, let me see. Here it is right here. I found your reservation. Here it is right here. In fact, for all your trouble, I'm going to go ahead and upgrade you to an executive suite. How did I go from about to be on the street to an executive suite? Because somebody with power and authority knew which button to push. Oh, I hope you get so annoyed by what the devil is doing to your mind and your family. You throw up your hands and say, I got to speak to the supervisor. I got to speak to the God that knows me. Hallelujah. This woman goes for 12 years. For 12 years, I've been speaking to mid-level employees. She goes, I demand an appointment with the supervisor. He touched the hem of his garment, and as soon as she touched his garment, she was healed. She was made whole. Somebody come play at the piano. It's going to make this part sound a lot more spiritual than it actually is. She touched, she touched the hem of his garment. Thank you. As soon as she touched it, as soon as she touched it, she was healed. I could shut the sermon down right there, but I can't because don't forget that this woman and Jairus are, and her healing, hear me, was actually an interruption to Jesus' journey to Jairus' house. Don't forget who got to Jesus first. Jairus did. 
So I can see exactly how it went down. He, gets to, he says, Jesus, please, please come to my house. My baby girl is dying. Will you come? Jesus says, yes, I'll go. But the Bible is clear. There is a huge crowd, a massive crowd, because Jesus had that type of power, a huge crowd there that day. So Jairus' challenge is to get Jesus through the crowd back to his house. And don't forget, time is of the essence because she is dying. So you know how it is when it's a crowd of people, you're trying to get through, you're like, excuse me, excuse me, excuse me, move, excuse me, excuse me, excuse me, excuse me, excuse me, move, excuse me, excuse me, excuse me, move, excuse me, excuse me, no, uh-uh, I got to him first, move, excuse me, and then he's going through the crowd, and he checks back to make sure, you still, okay, come on, follow me, excuse me, excuse me, excuse me, excuse me, move, excuse me, excuse me, and he checks to make sure, you still follow me, Jesus, okay, come on, come on, excuse me, excuse me, and he goes through the crowd, and all of a sudden, the text would suggest that he loses Jesus in the crowd. Where did this dude go? I just told him this is an emergency. Move. Excuse me. Excuse, move. And he's pushing through. And all of a sudden, he finds Jesus surrounded by people talking about who touched me. <laughs> Charles is like, Are you serious right now? I just told you this is an emergency. You up here playing 21 questions? What do you mean who touched you? Everybody touching you. Oh, don't act like you ain't never been there before. Don't act like you ain't never been there before. Don't act like you've never told Jesus. This is an emergency. You need to hurry up. They about to take my car. This bill is due on the fifth. Can you hurry? You an on-time guy? Mm, yeah, this is the time for you to come on. And he's just taking his time, asking random questions. Who touched me? I'll wait. <laughs> wait. <laughs> he waits. For who knows how long for this woman to finally, sheepishly come through the crowd and say, it was me. No doubt she probably thought he was going to kill her because he is a priest. She's not even supposed to be in public, let alone to touch a priest because the unclean was never supposed to touch the clean. It would contaminate the clean, but she was about to find out that Jesus was a different type of clean. And when you touch him, what's on the inside of him gets on the inside of you. Oh, I'm going to pause right there. Some of you need to change your perspective on who God is. You can come to him with all your junk, all your issues, and just grab a hold of him. He says, no, girl, I ain't going to kill you. Come here. Come here. He says, sit down. Let's talk. And just takes his time talking to this woman while Jairus has to wait. And the Bible says that she told him the whole truth. Another version says she told him her whole story. She (laughs) told him her. (laughs) She (laughs) told him her whole story. Ladies, I love you. But have you ever had a lady tell you her whole story? Oh, get you a comfortable seat. You're going to be there for a minute? Oh, don't be in a hurry. Get you a dude to tell you his story. When you're in a hurry, he'll be like, I'm good. How long was this conversation? And I can see the steam coming off of Jarvis's forehead like, are you serious? Oh, girl, get your healing and go. Oh, Peter, you always running your mouth. This be a good time to tell your boy to hurry up. Ain't that frustrating when God makes you wait? You told him it was an emergency. Not only did he have to wait, he had to watch her get her miracle. Y'all don't want to be real. 
if it's not frustrating enough to wait on your miracle, what do you do when while you are waiting on your miracle, God makes you watch somebody else get theirs? And you got that fake church smile on your face like, oh, you got healed. Hallelujah. Can we go now? It's funny till it's you. Waiting to get healed. Watching other people shout about healing over the same disease you got. Waiting to have a baby. Watching other people post pictures of their baby on Instagram and Facebook. Waiting to get married. Watching other people walk down the aisle. Talking about God. She got a husband. She got a husband. What do you do? What do you do when God makes you watch a miracle while you are waiting on your miracle? Because I found that God will often make you watch a miracle while you are waiting on your miracle. And it's not to discourage you. He's a good, good father. It's actually to encourage you, to let you know that if God did it for them, he can do it for you too. He is no respecter of persons. Come on, somebody. The same God that blessed somebody else can bless you too. Don't you ever hate on anybody in your life. If you see God blessing somebody, you ought to start praising with them because the same God that blessed them Oh, he can bless me too. He's no respecter of persons. Same God that did it for you. He can do it for me too. Oh, I'm so glad you shouted at that. I'm a a preacher. I set you up for that shout. (laughs) Because we say that a lot in church, don't we? If God did it for me, he'll do it for you too. And it's true. But I think there's an erroneous ideology we've attached to that. I think often when we say, if God did it for me, he'll do it for you too. We think that means God will do it in the same way. So if God blessed you with a house, turn up. He going to bless me with a house in the same neighborhood and with the same square footage. And I'm going to measure Jesus, so keep it even now. He'll do it for you too, but hear me. Often it won't be in the same way. This is why you got to stop comparing yourself to other people. Watch this. I'm done. Jairus and this woman both wanted the same thing. Healing. Jairus didn't get a healing. He got a resurrection. Which sounds awesome. Don't shout too soon. until you remember that the prerequisite for resurrection is death. So can you imagine, go there with me, while he's waiting on his miracle and watching her get hers. He feels a tap on his shoulder from the people that had come from the house. He can already see it when he looks at their face. They say, Jairus, why bother the teacher anymore? Your baby girl is already dead. Oh, when I read that, I felt Jairus' pain. But it also became clear to me that Jairus has horrible friends. (laughs) Terrible friends. (laughs) Hashtag the worst friends on planet Earth. Not because they told him his daughter was dead. Those were the facts. 
It's the commentary they added to the facts. They say, Jairus, why bother the teacher? And I have to use this voice because they annoy me. Jairus, why bother the teacher anymore? She's already dead. Jairus, why bother the teacher anymore? She's, in essence, they are saying, Jairus, this is the time to quit. This is the time to give up. This is the time to just walk away and throw in the towel. Watch out for people in your life that are so quick to tell you to walk away from your dream, walk away from the promise God gave you. How you gonna tell me to give up? This ain't your daughter. And how you gonna say don't bother the teacher? You don't have an awareness of his authority because he's more than a teacher. He's a healer, he's a way maker, he's a miracle worker. In fact, he's the resurrection and the life. So even death itself can't stop him. Oh, somebody give him some praise in this place. Hallelujah. Instead, and I gotta go. Woo. I can see Jairus. He was so dazed by the bad news. I don't even think he wanted to move anymore because they told him his daughter was dead. And I think that's when Jesus took Jairus by the hand and said, Jairus, don't be afraid. Just believe. Come on, Jairus. I know you got bad news, but it's not over yet. Come on, Jairus. Don't stay stuck here. Come on, follow. Jairus, I know where you live. Come on, follow me. Let's go. We can, it's not over till I say it's over. Come on, Jairus, follow me. See, this is the way it's supposed to be. See, you're never supposed to be leading Jesus. Jesus has got be leading you and you gotta follow him even when your heart's broken they already started the funeral when they walked in and Jesus said why y'all crying this girl is not dead she's just asleep and they laughed at him he said oh you think that's funny oh you think that's funny <laughs> every one of y'all that laughed get Oh, come on, somebody help me close this message. Say, get. Oh, somebody on this anniversary, you need to serve an eviction notice to some things the enemy's been beating you up with, and you need to look at that thing with some authority yourself and say, get. Tell fear to get. Tell worry to get. Tell anxiety to get. Tell depression to get. Somebody give them some praise and say, get out. Get out. Get out. I'm done. I'm done. I'm done. I'm done. This anniversary, I just came to tell somebody some things will never get up till first some things get out. I'm telling you. Jamin, the more I study the Word of God, I see it all over the place. It's like God is an environmentalist. All the way from Genesis. First the soil, then the tree. First the sky, then the stars. First the ocean, then the fish. Because if the atmosphere is not conducive for a miracle, it'll never come to pass. How many are thankful you're a part of City Light Church? This is an atmosphere of the supernatural. This is an atmosphere. Come on, look what God has done in one year. I'm telling you, he has more to do. This is an atmosphere for God to do signs and wonders. Come on, let's sing this and give him some praise in this place today. Come on.